Hi, everyone. We have a very special announcement to share with you. So as you know, we started Carrying Wayward almost a year ago, and thanks to all of our listeners and supporters, we've actually recorded over 40 episodes, a few minisodes, and also a couple of special events. We know some of you have been asking for more content, like longer episodes, more interaction, more events, and yes, bingo cards. Don't worry, we haven't forgotten. They are (laughs) in the pipeline. (laughs) Yep, and guess what, Wayward Friends? We've decided to start a Patreon. So our weekly episodes will remain free, but if you're interested in some extra content and perks, you should have a look at our Patreon tiers. Yep, our tiers start at just $3 a month, Choose the one that fits you best. We're offering perks like exclusive access to a Discord server where you can chat with Mary and I daily, post-show content, free access to monthly live events, and some producer-level shout-outs right in the podcast. The support of our patrons will actually allow us to pay for our existing expenses, like the rights for our intro music, our Google Drive, but also things like upgrading some of our recording equipment and also investing in making some merch because we have lots of fun merch ideas. Oh, we do. So go check it out. Patreon.com slash Carrying Wayward. The link is available on all of our social media channels. Don't hesitate to reach out to Mary or I if you have any questions. All right, Drew. We've got work to do. Yes, we do. Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Shulman. And I'm Marie Vigourou. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 2, Episode 19, Folsom Prison Blues. Let's get this show on the road. Okay, starting this episode off. I need this on the record. I was right. Why were you right? Well, we discussed this, I think, off air, but I basically said, like, I have no idea what this episode's about, but given the title, I'm going to assume they go to prison somehow. Watching the episode, I was like, oh, they're going to get arrested, and there'll be some small town, it'll be under fake names, like, and they'll avoid all the FBI stuff. And no, they immediately go with, like, no fake IDs, real names, real people. Hendrickson shows up immediately, like, oh, okay, where is this going? I'm like, how are they getting out of this? I think it was Dean who was like, yeah, this guy moved faster than I thought he would. You know, like it was it was clearly a surprise for both of them that the FBI would have gotten involved so quickly. Even though Hendrickson is surprisingly not a major player in this episode, he kind of gets his little cameo at the beginning and like a few moments here and there that one of which really pissed me off. It just sort of goes to show that like he is dangerous. Definitely. He is absolutely an antagonist at this point. I don't want to say a villain because I'm not too sure that he is, but definitely an antagonist here. Do you want to do the recap right away? Count me down. Perfect. Three, two, one, go. We have a ghost uncovered by people doing repairs in a prison. Ghost gives people heart attacks. Ghost makes kill. The boys are like, well, we got to go after this ghost because we promised some guy that dad was friends with who apparently saved dad. And the way they get to prison is just going to prison apparently by getting themselves caught and then Hendrickson shows up and they realize they're on a time limit and apparently they like have a way out which is already like how are they going to do this and that's what got me the whole time anyways they're in the prison they eventually figure out who this person they think it is you know it is and his blood is in the room they unleashed him so they find a way to salt and burn it which again like every other salt and burn is a fake out because it turns out it's actually some nurse who is vindictive and was killing patients because she thought she was doing like you know good work and they have eventually do get out like they had a plan to with the uh, 
the what's what's the dean of a prison called? You know what I mean? <laughs> and then the dean of the warden, the warden who's their friend, who there's as a friend deacon who lets them out, and they go. And then also their lawyer lies to the cops and gives them the wrong graveyard. Is she on their side? Ooh, someone believes them. Time. Did I miss anything in my weird forgetting how words work? No, honestly, you really didn't. I mean, the I only have two small notes in the in the long game, and one it's that we see Agent Henriksen again, which you know you've definitely we've definitely talked about. And I also wanted to note that believe it or not, this is neither the first nor the last time that Dean's heart will be gripped by some kind of sinister creature. What was the first time? The Reaper in Faith. That's a that's a motif I don't want to keep seeing, but I guess we're going to have to see it again. Oh, yes, we are. I guess we hop into story time and discuss this a little more detailed. First, I sort of want to know, when the boys got caught, what was going through your mind? No part of me assumed it was not a plan that they were doing this to get caught on purpose. The bigger shock, I think, was when Hendrickson reveals himself and it's like, oh my God, he's here this quickly. I kept kind of like doing the thing where it's like, okay, so they get caught by some small local town police. That's not so bad. They'll give some fake name, some fake ID, and they'll get out eventually or they'll break out because it's, it's a small local jail. And then immediately like, no, 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 this is Sam and Dean. Okay. They're on a timer before Hendrickson shows up. Hendrickson's here. How were these idiots planning to do this? The boys are usually much better at like breaking and entering and not get caught. And they were what? Like just looking at some old weapons? Is that what was happening? Yeah, it looked like they were like checking out antiques or something. They were antiquing quite literally. <laughs> Finally, their antiquing trip took place. Usually they would have been in and out if they were looking for something specific, like taking what they need and then leaving. And then they were also wearing gloves. And you know how at one point, I think in season one, you were like, they should be wearing gloves. Like, they never wear gloves, even when they should. Even when they, I think the camera focuses on the motion detector a little bit, and even Hendrickson calls him out for being tripped up on it. It's like, yeah, because they were trying to get caught. Like, the fact that Hendrickson didn't even call it out, like, almost shocked me. Right? It felt like, you know, he didn't even dig at all. Like, I feel like a good investigator like Henriksen would have would have scratched at that a little bit more. So actually, if we take just a tiny step back, like when the boys are taking their mug shots, I'm saying this as if they're taking selfies, but like when they're getting their mug shots done, right? Sam is just not happy. He is not enjoying where he is. And he even told Dean a little earlier, like, I don't like this plan. This is one of those like Sam is 100% in the right, like on paper, this is a terrible plan. Like, I can't believe it worked. I am 100% Team Sam on this. Sam's a goody two-shoes. Sam going to jail, even if it's for a good reason and they're, like, doing it, like, for the like, the way they're doing it, it's like, this is not something Sam would ever want. This is like, you. I could imagine, like, the same scenario if this was, like, a kid's show and it's like, we're gonna do this thing to save somebody, but in the meantime, we're gonna get, like, detention, and Sam would be, like, heartbroken over getting detention. Well, you know, we could have gotten killed, or worse, expelled. <laughs> yes! The Hermione energy is huge right now. I mean, I have some thoughts about Sam and his feelings about being in prison, but I, I kind of want to keep them for a little later. But I absolutely agree that this is a really difficult moment for Sam and that he is just not having a good time in this episode overall. Like, this is difficult for him. But for Dean, it's another story. It sort of feels, especially in that moment when they're still taking the mugshots, like, he's just not taking it seriously at all. He makes a Zoolander joke. Of course he's not taking it seriously. 
Honestly. Actually, I want to scratch at the following joke that he makes where he's like asking if he looks better than Nick Nolte. I went on a deep dive about Nick Nolte when I was looking at this episode because he was basically in at least one movie per year from 1972 until today. And that's not even counting his TV work. Like just to kind of give you an idea, he was the voice of Q-Will on The Mandalorian? I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I believe you are, but yes, no, he was phenomenal in The Mandalorian. That was such a great character. This man is like 80 years old today, but in the 80s, he was kind of a hunk. And like, again, because Dean was raised by TV and he's a sucker for good-looking actors, I sort of suspect that he might have had a crush on Nick Nolte. This is so soon to the last time we had a, like, specific call out to a hunky 80s male actor like right it's a weird trend like i i believe nick nolte has played many like convicts and like criminals in his history which i think is why it's a relevant actor to pick up in a you know like mugshot scene but at the same time like there's plenty of famous like you know mugshots you could pick from so again in my deep dive i also found out that nick nolte was actually arrested he is like he's a he was a convicted criminal like from before even before his um his career in film and tv but because of his status he was not able to go to the vietnam war which he felt very devastated about not being able to go to war for his country so i don't know just some thoughts all that to say that i think dean had a crush if we move on a little bit into like dean's interrogation we can tell that Henriksen is truly trying to get under his skin. Yeah, it like really feels combative, but it's always sort of all the way between the two of them, even just the last phone call we had. This is really like a, a kind of a Moby Dick scenario. This is really Hendrickson's white whale. This is the like, I need to catch him. There's like something to this. Right, and he starts by like naming him his charges. And then when that doesn't work, he tells him that Sam is now a murder suspect. And then when that doesn't work, he brings up John because in Night Sh in Night Shifter, that's when Dean lost his cool, right? And told him like that his dad was a hero. Now, obviously that doesn't work either because like I would tend to assume that Dean was ready for some sort of comment like that. And he knew he wanted to go to that specific jail and couldn't like make his situation worse kind of thing, you know? So I think that's why he doesn't pick up on that one this time. Again, to go to the Moby Dick side of things, just you're so obsessed with somebody that you can't really see the bigger picture. Like he's just like, I have Dean, I've done it, I've caught him, this is the end of it. Like it never feels like he's celebrating, like even the few times we see him post like arrest, when like Dean's clearly in jail and for all intent and purpose, the story's over. He still seems very like, like high and mighty until it's like seen through to fruition because he's still just so obsessed. I don't know why, but I'm getting like very prisoner of Azkaban Snape vibes right now from Henriksen. Like when he turns in Sirius Black, right? He's like so proud of himself. He's like so smug and so ugh. I keep using the same words, but it's an obsession. He is like just everything in his power is getting Dean put away and getting the opportunity not just to put him away, but to like lord it over him that he's won their little chess match. He can't let it go. Even when he, even when, like I said, you should be able to go like, I've done it. He's arrested. He's in jail. Like, I don't think any detective ever like arrests somebody and goes like, I'll just be a little more freaked out for another five or six days while he's in like low security prison because he'll probably get away. Oh, I guess with Dean, you kind of expect that. I guess Henriksen wasn't expecting it, right? 
Hendrickson's going to be so pissed. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I do want to bring up, though, Dean mentions that this is a loyalty thing, that the reason they're doing this, the reason they are going so above and beyond. And yeah, he also says, like, it's doing the right thing. These people, though they're criminals, they don't deserve to die, which... I honestly, I'm really happy with that sentiment. But at the same time, that they're doing this out of some sort of loyalty to someone that John owes a debt to. Again, this sort of just goes back to that whole living in John's shadow, that even with John not, you know, hovering over them as a parent anymore, and they're trying to break free a bit from his grasp, they still feel a connection to the people around John and feel like they need to keep John's name in almost like a good light. You know, I'm thinking back to the dynamics of season one, and I guess that makes sense, especially with Sam being so reluctant about it, like not liking the lengths to which they're going to achieve that, and Dean being very, very motivated for it. It did feel off to me that we had this sort of discourse in season two, especially so late in season two, like we're almost at the end of it. And we're starting to see also, I think we've had this conversation already, but we're starting to see Dean like waver a little bit in between like speaking well of John and speaking badly of John, not wanting to justify one or the other, because again, I, I fully relate to both, but like, I find it strange to go so far into the speaking well of him and wanting to pay off his debts, wanting, like, I don't know, maybe actually, maybe this has something to do about like evening the ledger kind of thing and saying like, after that, you know, we're, we're done, we're done with him kind of thing. I don't know. I really don't know. I, again, it's hard to say because we sort of have to, I mean, I at least don't know where things land with John, as far as the boys go, like I know John does technically kind of reemerge in the series. He's not gone completely. It's interesting because it's I, it's almost like there's still this relationship where they're pissed at him, but no one else should be. And they should correct that behavior because they should remember him fondly. It's like they're protecting his image in a way. I feel like this is truly like one of the last times that this happens. So blatantly like it's possible that i'm forgetting some stuff right now we'll keep an ear out for it. we'll see if another uh moment surprises us but if this is truly the last time then i guess it kind of does make sense this is kind of like just closing the book on like john's debts essentially especially considering the episode that's coming up after this one. Oh no okay all right Whew. oh i don't like what i the, the link i just made but whatever it's there now i can't take it back now there's a big conversation in the fandom about how well Dean fits in this episode in prison. Even Sam asks him, you know, like, does it bother you at all how easily you seem to fit in here? And Dean replies, point blank, no, not really. I want to talk about that for a second. You talked about Sam being a goody two-shoes and never wanting to go to prison, right? Which is absolutely true, and I get that energy from him too. But Sam and Dean often break the law. There was a lot of stuff that was listed earlier in the episode, like credit card fraud, identity theft, you know, grave desecration. They do all of that stuff. They break and enter, they impersonate law enforcement, they destroy property, they loiter. They're not, and in many ways, according to the law, that's where they actually belong. Dean also said about Nurse Glockner, maybe she's going after somebody that breaks the law, like me. And it feels to me like he's being very realistic and factual about it. And I would argue that Sam is not. And I think that Sam might be a surrogate for the audience here because 
we also don't see them as quote-unquote criminals. Dean is having an easier time being incarcerated because he treats the inmates primarily as people, not as inmates. And I think that having that Sam is having a harder time because in his mind, he doesn't belong in prison. He doesn't belong in jail. And because he's telling himself that, you know, he doesn't belong, it's harder for him to connect to the people around him, especially when he thinks that they belong in jail. And so in a way, I feel like Sam sees himself as like above these men, whereas Dean doesn't. And that's why he's having an easier time fitting in. I was just going to say that generally Dean, like we saw last episode, Dean just works well or like gets along well with like like-minded people. And I guess to some extent he sees that connection to these people. They are people who just don't fit into the regular world. They are in their own way, other to society. And I think he just feels kind of a level of comfort with that, that this is just a place that he fits in well. And yeah, it's because he knows what he does. Yes, and I think that's the rationale everyone makes is, yes, the law was broken, but it was for a good reason. I'm sure many of these inmates, whether or not that case is, is legit for them or not, have probably had very similar, you know, moments where they go, yeah, I broke the law. I know what I did was illegal, but I have to do it. We don't know the reason why people are in prison. And I think that that's very important. To come back to your to your point, like, I think that we were discussing that in Night Shifter, right? Where Sam has a harder time connecting with Ronnie, whereas for Dean, it just kind of came naturally. And I think, I think, and I, and I don't like to say that about my tallest bean, but like, I think that sometimes like he... He sees himself as, I mean, physically above. He is much taller than everybody, but like morally above others. I think that this is like typical of early season Sam. Like he changes so much in the future seasons and I'm so excited for that growth. But I really do think that this is like early season Sam syndrome. Sam always kind of came across and still does as be, as a holier than thou type character. Like the chosen one complex we say within the universe but at the same time, he does act like he's better than other people. And I don't think he does it, like, with any level of, like, malicious intent. He's never, like, lording it over somebody. But, like, he's the kind of person who would be like, the rule shouldn't apply to me because it was written for somebody else. To me, this theme really comes full circle when the spirit goes after Deacon. Because Deacon is a correctional officer who actually lets two inmates escape. And not only that, but he actively helps them. He doesn't just let them go. He actively helps them. And then he lies to the FBI about it. I mean, that's that's breaking the law. And so Nurse Glockner goes, goes after him. According to what we've been discussing, Deacon also technically belongs in jail as an inmate because he broke the law. And even the public defendant breaks the law by lying to Henriksen about where the nurse is buried. Literally every character in this episode breaks the law, except Henriksen. And he's the antagonist. And so I think that like this, this episode in its own way sort of asks the evergreen philosophical question, like, is abiding by the law always the moral thing to do? Or the other way around, is breaking the law always morally wrong? Like, I just, my brain is just like on fire for a second. I'm like, damn, mm, all these people breaking the law, but they did for good reasons. And it was all to help people. And, ah! A lot of people in this episode who broke the law did so with the best of intentions. Before we move on too far, there is a moment in this episode that really, I just need to know if I missed something. I'm listening. We have the moment of like the SWAT team pulling up at the cemetery and going after the boys and the boys burn the body and then surprise, they were 
in a different cemetery is revealed that the lawyer lied. It then cuts the lawyer leaving her house and getting into her car, and then nothing else happens. Did that does that scene mean something more? Like that felt so weird and out of place to me. Like I still like for some reason it sat with me. Like I was waiting for the reveal that she was a demon and she did this to get the boys let the boys get away from Hendrickson because them in prison doesn't work for the demon's plans but like nothing they just cut to her getting into a car and that's it I think that this fits with what we were talking about right I think that this shows that like no she's not a demon she's just she's a human who quote unquote and technically did something very wrong she helped two criminals get away it flirts with the question of like what is a monster what is like what is evil you know like and in this case I think they're trying to make a point about like whether the law is the same thing as morality and I, I obviously I think that the message is is no it's not uh, and what's legal is not always moral and what's moral is not always legal I think that that's that was the purpose of that no nope, I think that's a very valid observation 100% shall we move into critical time let's so who do we have behind the scenes on this episode making things the way they were? Well, this was John Sheban's last episode for Supernatural. In season two, he wrote Everybody Loves the Clown, Croatoan, and Tall Tales. And this is it for John Sheban. Aww. The episode was directed by Mike Roll, who also directed The Usual Suspects, and we will see more of him through to season seven. Hmm. Another very cop-heavy episode. I know that you've got some really fun and juicy stuff for us in Critical Time, but before we get there, do you mind if I, like, talk about John Sheban a little bit? Please. Now that we know that he's the one who wrote this episode, I kind of want to think about his parting message. We talked about how Dean was very realistic about who he is, and that shows through his fitting it at the prison. I sort of think that Sheban was trying to say in this episode, Dean knows who he is, whereas Sam does not. And again, I want to bring up Faith, because when do I not bring up Faith? In that episode, Dean has his heart damaged by an electric shock, then healed by a gay man's heart, through, you know, some kind of sorcery, but then the Reaper, who was originally controlled into fixing his heart, actually almost kills him, by gripping it tight. All that to say that there was a lot of subtext of queerness and heart in Faith. And here, Dean is again put in danger by the nurse gripping his heart. And I sort of felt like Sheban was deliberately calling back to Faith. I think that there was like a message of John Sheban trying to say like, Dean not only knew about his bisexuality, but he embraced it in the same way that he embraced like other parts of himself that people might have tried to make him feel bad about, like fitting in in prison, for example. She we way to leave us with a really hard one there. Again, the subtext here of prisoners being considered other by society or less than by society and Dean's ability to fit in with them, I think kind of plays with, again, Dean's sexuality in the sense that he's able to fit in with people who are outcast by society, who aren't seen as normal, quote unquote. And this, again, his comfort with being in prison, I think is also just a commentary on his comfort of fitting in with those who don't fit in anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything for us lore-wise? I decided this would be a great time to look up the history of hauntings in uh, prisons. That was a terrible idea. I think my biggest issue is the fact that there were just so many stories. It was hard to like really just like, let's talk about prisons and ghosts. It's like, if somebody died in a prison, there was a ghost. <laughs> like, fact. If you visit a prison and that prison isn't haunted... They're lying to you. Like, I can't 
I, like every you look up haunted prison, there there are a dime a dozen because the idea of people who were either criminals or wrongfully arrested who then end up either dying in prison, whether through act of the prison, neglect, other issues, or just passing on for unrelated reasons. It, it's a, it's like, you, you think of like, you know, like, oh, like children playing in a sandbox that's like dirty and feel it's a breeding ground for disease. Prisons are a breeding ground for angry spirits. I will bring up though, one, because I did feel like I should at least come up with one and I learned about one. Actually, I had watched a uh, ghost hunting show do an episode here. I decided to do a little bit of refresher reading to remind myself, but this is the Eastern State Penitentiary in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And this place was designed, I don't know who designed it, I'm just gonna say whoever they were was quite messed up. Essentially, it is one very long hallway with all of the cells on the upper and lower floor. And at the end of this hallway, at the top of all the stairs is a noose so that when someone was hanged, everyone could watch. The place The place is still standing. You can visit it and take tours and ghost hunting shows have gone there because there are multiple stories of this place and different people who were killed there. Some, you know, were hanged before they could be proven innocent by mistake. Uh, others who were just like absolute, like top level, like, terrible murderers who were hung there. It, it's got quite the story. I, I will encourage you if you're looking for a good ghost tale to read up on it, the Eastern State Penitentiary. And uh, if I ever end up in Philadelphia, I'll be taking a tour for sure. Suffice it to say, if there is a prison, it's probably haunted. I feel like that makes sense. If we're just gonna take like a bit of a lighter note. Please. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, <laughs> I want out of this episode. <laughs> Get me off this ride. <laughs> We met a character on this episode called Tiny, who is actually played by Cliff Kosterman, who in real life is Jared and Jensen's bodyguard. That's kind of adorable. And also I just felt all the feelings when Tiny dies. Ugh, like Dean really was like upset. And it was, uh, it like hurt, it broke my heart to watch that scene, really. He was upset because like he... You know, he like emotionally wounded him before he died, right? Like he, I mean, and he apologizes. He's like, I can't really tell you why, but I had to get you angry. But like, it was just not a good moment, right? So I'm sure. I think he feels guilty. I mean, he literally put the man in that position to end up being murdered by a ghost. I know. Shall we listen to what our community has to say this week? Let's go hear it. This week, we have a voicemail from Soren. Let's give it a listen. Hey guys, I really love your show. I found it about two weeks ago and I just binged through all the episodes because it's really fun watching you guys like analyze everything in like ways I'm way too lazy to do. And I just wanted to talk about the, the thing you said about in the most recent episode you guys did about how Dean was regressing and when you guys started talking about Dean's acceptance and understanding of the monsters with his queerness, which like, it's a very plain connection. I already knew it, but like you guys, like something about the way you guys laid it out made, made something click in my mind and it made me think of Benny and like how we see him for, we see Dean for probably the first time, for the first time in 
with Benny and for the first time he is genuinely like accepting of a quote-unquote monster and like caring for them openly and not considering the the fact that he's a monster a deal breaker or even a problem he just he just accepts it and he 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 tries to hide it at first but not from himself and he's completely embraced this monster even if it's only for himself and then sam finds out and he doesn't accept it dean has finally become accepting of the this thing this monstrousness and sam doesn't accept that of him he acts like dean is stupid sam the person he trusts puts him down and refuses to trust benny and it just hit me how this is literally this is basic it's literally sam discovering dean's queerness and not understanding and not accepting him and the way that forms a rift between them and we see dean crawl back into his shell and then things become strained between him and Benny because of this, because this is confirmation that Dean can't have this. And he, and it's just repeating what John probably told him his whole life, that you should not connect with monsters and you should not connect with your queerness. And ugh, it makes my heart hurt. Also, a uh, fun aside, uh, Rochelle is the name of my therapist. so. Do with that what you will. First things first, Soren, thank you very much for that voicemail. I will be very honest. I don't know who or what Benny is, but after listening to this, I'm rather excited because I like the idea of seeing Dean care that much about something or someone. And the idea that it's clearly a monster, like, I'm really excited to get there. I'm hoping it's soon, Mary. It's not soon. <laughs> Uh, one day one, it's okay one day we'll get there but the parts i can definitely speak to are one i'm also very lazy note like 90 percent of the research in the show is mary uh so i feel you <laughs> but <laughs> sorry i just couldn't i couldn't resist i couldn't resist uh but i love that you were able to make that connection that we were able to help bring you to that and i love that reading like as much as i don't have all the context clearly you know to have someone you care about someone you see as like your real connection to the world you're like your your other half essentially in a case like sam and dean you know not understand you to like see you as wrong to not accept something about you is incredibly difficult so if this really is a tipping point like i am so afraid of it but oh like, I really, like, I'm, I'm worried about this episode, but I'm so excited for this episode at the same time. Oh, it's not an episode. It's a full-on storyline, just so <gasps> that you're aware. Yes. I'm excited. <laughs> you should be. You're, go you're going to love Benny. I'm just going to say, in my head, Benny is like a demon dog or something. <laughs> a demon dog? Interesting. <laughs> like, just like, like, looks like a normal dog, but has, like, devil powers. Like, it's like I'm just picturing something really adorable and cartoonish for no reason. I'm sure I'm wrong. Why but... did you go to dog? I don't know. <laughs> I just see, I sort of just pictured Dean with this like adorable puppy that he can't like, like do, like he can't be mad at, even though it's like a demon. <laughs> oh my God. That's too funny. I'm, I'm like, I can't, I'm like, I can't say anything. I'm <laughs> holding myself back so hard right now. Okay. We'll get there. We'll get there. Sorry. Continue. I got you off. We will. Let me answer to Soren. Her voicemail was so beautiful. I want to be able to answer her. Soren, 
Thank you for this lovely voicemail. Do with that what you will, but seeing as I am still in the process of looking for a new therapist, Rochelle has been my therapist for the past little while, (laughs) so... You know, putting that out there as well. In more, I guess, seriousness, I think that it's so important to put words on the subtext of Supernatural because so much of the show lives in the subtext. If you've been in the fandom, I think that you may have experienced some strong pushback in terms of some readings of subtext. And so that's that's truly like one of the things that I really want to do on this podcast, like put words on the subtext. I love your read. I think that you're absolutely right because there was always something that bothered me about the whole like Sam Dean Benny storyline and you've managed to put words onto it. And so thank you so much for that. Like I'll definitely be taking that as we go into that storyline. So thank you very much. Soren, I hope when we get there, you can share some more thoughts with us on that one because I am excited for Benny, human, demon, dog or otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) let's go to the crossroads yes let's go would you like to get us started this week i had a moment in this episode one we totally glossed over like the only negative point in this episode that really hit me which is hendrickson's line to the lawyer about like this is like what what does he call like this is grown-up time or something basically insinuating that she's like below them it's never explicitly said it's because of the gender, but it very much felt like we're the big boys and you're a little girl. And it just rubbed me the wrong way. Like that was the moment where I expected the lawyer to go off and do more research. And I like, there's a really good moment too, where I think the line Hendrickson gives is, you know, they show up in town, then people die. I wanted her to like go back and like do research and go like, no, it seems people are dying. They show up And then the deaths stop. Like, I was really, that's why I was expecting her to be, like, more contextual to the episode, to have more meaning. And, like, yeah, ultimately, she, like, sides with them, like, something inside of her. Like, like, it's almost more of, like, a, she just chooses to believe Dean because of the goodness in his heart. And that's why she gets the information, lies to the cops, and lets them get away. I think having her basically outsmart Hendrickson by doing the research and realizing, wait a second, there's something going on here. And like, yeah, at the end of the day, she could still just vanish into the series and never be seen again, but at least give us as the viewer, like people can put two and two together and realize that what they're doing is good, even if they don't understand it. And I think that would have been such an important message that you can understand somebody even, or you can believe somebody and you can you know believe in somebody, even if you don't understand them. I think would have been a powerful message and also would have sucked it to Hendrickson a little better. As much as I like, I love John Sheban for what he's done for, you know, by Dean, I feel like there are a lot of problematic elements in his episodes as, as, as there are for almost every episode in the early seasons. And so like, you know, he's not the only one who does this, but I, I agree. I mean, there was, you know, using fat shaming in order to, to get, tiny angry there was this line from a black man to a woman you know like there it's <sighs> yes so there's definitely a lot of problematic in this episode if i may my my deal and i don't know i guess it's going to be dealer's choice because my issue with this episode is like presenting prison as an easy place to escape like that 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 rubbed me the wrong way like because i 
I actually recently found out that somebody that I used to be close friends with in my late teens has actually been incarcerated for several years. I, I'm not going to go into details because, you know, they're very open about their story, but it's just not my story to share in this context. I'm just trying to imagine my friend like watching this episode knowing that they've spent several years of their lives you know incarcerated you know they haven't seen their children or their loved ones during all that time and I just I feel like it's important to note that this episode like just used prison and jail as a plot point. It wasn't to talk about the reality of inmates in the United States and that's kind of the reason I'm bringing it up like it feels like jail is kind of a joke in this episode like there's this underlying tone of comedy through the episode that I just didn't love um, because the experience of being incarcerated is very specific. And I don't, I don't think that we saw that like what we saw was a true representation of that. It was made out to be a joke. Like there were hints here and there, like when the boys are meeting their cellmates and they're both feeling unsafe, but even that like felt a bit like a joke. There were the the confrontations between the inmates and but that also felt a little bit like a joke there were also like confrontations between the inmates and the correctional officers but that also was sort of turned out to be a joke and then there's Randall telling Sam that an inmate was beaten to death by a CO and then his death was listed as a heart attack and that silence was the price to pay for safety. Like, there's some hints here and there about the realities of inmates in prisons, especially, you know, for-profit prisons. I, I just think that this is another instance where the show is using a vulnerable population as a prop to tell a ghost story. Yeah, I feel like prison, it kind of falls in the same category as, like, sexual assault on men, where it was played for jokes back then, and only in recent history has it kind of been like people have like basically come out and said like, no, you can't joke about that stuff anymore. Like, that's not appropriate. And I feel like this and I, I feel bad almost saying like it didn't really hit me as much in this episode. And I don't think that's a credit to the show. I think that's a commentary on me as a viewer who is so used to seeing prison as a set piece for television shows. And uh, I mean, I have no real connection to prison outside of media really so i guess like in my mind like as much as i would never make the jokes myself i don't look at a scene like this and go like this was in poor taste but you're 100 percent right it is and i mean i think that's also the issue right like you have to be sensitized to to this issue to this idea and I, it comes back to the whole like dean sees inmates first and foremost as people whereas sam sees them as inmates and it sort of feels like we as the viewer also dehumanize them because they're in that orange jumpsuit. Yeah, it's a harsh reality. And I, I, I will say, I think as much as what we've what we've dug out of the subjects here is that this was very much a another scenario of Dean fitting in with outcasts, you know, connecting to the way that he is bisexual and considered an outcast among air quotes, again, normal society. I think it's also just so charming to see Dean humanize these people who are people they're humans yes they did something wrong and they've ended up in prison but like he said they don't deserve to die it's very refreshing to see even outside of the subjects in the very literal text of the episode that dean just goes no they're humans they deserve rights as much as we do and i know it isn't said as explicitly but like yeah there are people in jail now who maybe they did something wrong once but does that you know should that determine their entire life we could be here all night discussing that. I I have many thoughts. 
You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Drew Shulman and myself, Marie Vigourou. Thank you to our bunker patron, Katira, for her generous support. This week, we'd also like to thank Soren for her voicemail. Help us keep the conversation going. You can send us a voice recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube using at carryingwayward, and leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to join our Patreon for perks and extra content. Our October live event will be a live watch of Bad Day at Black Rock on October 28th. You can use the link in all of our social media bios or go directly to patreon.com slash carryingwayward. And until next week, carry on our wayward friends. You can... Always. It's always there.